Splashin. Welcome to season six, episode two of Siren Sundays with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. I do want to take some time to say happy independence, Bahamas. The beautiful country, the Commonwealth of the Bahamas is celebrating 49 years of independence today. <laughs> So this show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, and practitioners of environmental science and all things conservation. You're now tuning into our conservation conversation with my guest, Christina Zanato. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lashanti. Thank you. And happy Independence, Bahamas. Definitely. So let's get straight into it. Can you tell us a bit about your background, your journey into becoming a shark expert and cave explorer? <laughs> Um, so my background is I'm originally Italian, but I lived for the last 29 years uh, in Freeport, Grand Bahama, where I came to learn how to scuba dive. I thought I would stay for a year and then uh, fell in love with the country above and below the water. And basically 29 years later, I made this my home. And uh, uh, once I became a scuba diver, I became also a diving professional. And uh, I had a passion since I was a kid for sharks. I wanted to be an underwater scuba ranger, had sharks for friends. So in here, I started diving. And all of a sudden, there were sharks in the water. I met Ben Rose, my mentor. And I started doing the shark dives here. And, and then as I did that, I also found that there were caverns and caves and, and all of this built uh, somewhat from a personal desire of being with sharks and seeing caves and uh, being everything underwater. And the next step was realizing that not everyone felt the way I felt about sharks and caves. It's really funny. Both of them have this kind of like a lot of misconceptions about them. Yeah. And so I was like, no, 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 wait, wait. And so I started slowly educating uh, first locally, because we're talking about 94, 95, 96. There was no swipe left, no swipe right. And then with time, it felt like my, my voice grew. And so people start paying attention to what I was saying. And, and that is where, I guess, the, I don't know if you want to call it expertise, but the knowledge and understanding of the underwater environment came. And I connected also with a lot of uh, professors, people with, that specifically study one corner of the caves or one corner of the shark, so I can assimilate more of their knowledge. But it was born that this fact that I really love both of them and I didn't find that everyone out there did the same. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to change this attitude of people towards the two of my most loved uh, places, the caves and being in the water with sharks? So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing today, you know, with, with sharks and people you know what? It's really interesting. I would say that we're still facing the same challenges that I was facing nearly 30 years ago. In a way, wow. when you say the word sharks, there's still quite a lot of the population that literally just hear the soundtrack of Jaws. You say sharks and they go, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. and <laughs> it's very hard. And it's usually the first part that I start with, you know, saying sharks is like saying birds. Not all birds fly, not all birds are sing beautifully, and not all birds of black or colorful or whatever you want to fill in the blanks. So that is the number one challenge. It's like people hear sharks and they just think a certain very, very small secluded part of the population of these incredible animals that are in all the oceans of the world. The only place where I have not been found is actually the Antarctic Ocean yet. Uh, yeah. And... 
Yes, the other challenging is is goes with all the myths that were with sharks. So one of the biggest problems is actually media and social media. A lot of information that comes out about sharks is when we have these very rare shark encounters, but they are so hyped up that the general perception is that you put a toe in the ocean and a shark is going to be there to bite it. And <laughs> we, the Bahamas, are one of the best examples of that is absolutely not true. We have millions and millions of visitors and people that go in our oceans yearly and our negative encounter between sharks and people are extremely rare and mm -hmm. um, the negative ones primarily are actually in a certain way is because uh, maybe they encroach with spear fishers or uh, there's a something in between that the sharks want so i think those are still some of the two biggest challenges people see sharks as these mindless eating machines not as a very functioning thinking feeling um in a certain way, actually very in tune with the environment and with us animal. Yeah. And I always like to remind people, you know, that sharks are opportunist. First of all, they're only coming at you if they already smell blood or if they're already agitated, but they pretty much, they only like to hunt the fish that they think are easy to catch. While they may be powerful and strong, they're very, very not into putting, they don't want anything that's <laughs> going to put up a fight, right? So... The minute you start trying to fight back a shark, they're, they're more likely to kind of be like, you know what, this is too much work. I'm not that hungry anyway. That's true. I always tell people, it's like, would you prefer to cook your own dinner or stop up mom's? That's a good <laughs> analogy. Yeah, yeah. And I know you mentioned um, a bit earlier when you were talking about your background that caves also get mis like you know misrepresented and misconceptions around them. What are some of the things and challenges that you face with, you know, getting people to kind of understand and explore caves? Well, uh, the, it, imagine we already say that the ocean, you know that, you know that from your background, that a lot of people is out of sight, out of mind, you know, something plops into the ocean, disappears, you don't really know what happens underneath. Well, now imagine you're underground, underwater in eternal darkness. So it's very much the biggest one is out of sight, out of mind. And what uh, people don't realize in many places, but especially here in the Bahamas, the caves are kind of like the circulatory systems of our archipelago. They transport all these nutrients and pollutions. They really do a, a connection between what you would say, imagine the cave entrance of a blue hole could be the mouth into the body of the island or vice versa. Uh, so very much uh, not realizing how much it actually connected to the health of the mangroves, to the health of the oceans and all the animals that then live in our cavalogs, but other waters as well. That's one. And then the other one that I usually get is, uh, oh, I don't like small, tiny places where I could be trapped. And, and it's like, yes, there are some. <laughs> but the thing is, you should be you should be amazed. There's the caves that we have. Yes, there are small passageways and there are small little swim throughs, but cave diving is progressive. It's like being an open water diver, an advanced diver, a dive master. You don't do the dives as you do as a dive master when you're an open water diver with four dives. You yeah. don't do at the cavern level the dives you do as an advanced cave diver. But most caves are actually passageways where I can comfortably swim through, through with all my gear. Some of the rooms down there are like the size of cathedrals. And so that is another misconception. Everybody thinks it's like this tiny little holes and it's like, you would be surprised, but it's down there. Some of them, you, you swim in there and you're like, how did it stay up? 
And, you know, and I must admit, like I did, I raised my hand. I've always been terrified of the thought of swimming into the underwater cave. Now, I've ventured into some above ground caves. You know, it's a little bit easier mentally to kind of just maneuver, um, never really getting into crawl spaces. But just for some um, housekeeping, how do you define a cave? So the uh, it's kind of funny. Um, above and below the water, the cave and cavern actually have the opposite meaning. So oh. underwater, a cavern is the first room, is the one when you submerge. We have rules. Uh, is usually no more than 200 feet linear penetration, including depth. So if the entrance is at 60 feet, you have another 140 feet to go in. Is within the daylight zone. So anytime I do a 360, there should be a source that sh shows me, oh, that's the sunlight over there. It has a maximum depth of 100 feet. And so it's like the first room that you enter into a cave system. The cave system is everything that goes beyond these parameters. In the land, the caverns are the passageways beyond the first cave entrance. So that is the main definitions of cavern and cave. Um, caves comes in a lot of four shapes and forms. Here in the Bahamas, primarily, they came from uh, what we call dissolution caves. So I tried to explain we have a uh, limestone, uh, which is a series of layers of rocks, and they have different properties. And some of them, uh, if you can imagine, they fizzle like the Alka-Seltzers in your water. And mm -hmm. then we have a transition between fresh and salt water called the halocline, and through the thousands of years as this helicline moved up and down due to uh, glacier times and due to tidal movements, it actually dissolves the limestone, creating these uh, passages. And then when the ice age hits and the water level here in the Bahamas went even 400 below the current level, then the water that comes from the rain still hits these caves, but when it finds the hollow, starts dripping. And drips with drips and leaves behind a little bit of calcite, creating decorations like the stalactites and the stalagmites and the columns. And then the ice age ends, and we go back with this decoration submerged, and the dissolutions continues. So right now the caves are flooded. Yes, I'm very happy about that. Um, we're in that at the end of the meltdown. So the caves are somewhat slowly forming, not something that you can visually see, but the decorations are like frozen in time. So that is in very few minutes in a nutshell, a little bit what we can find on the water in the caves. Would you say that you have a preference between caves on land and caves in water? Do you like the underwater ones better? I honestly like the underwater ones better. I, I prefer right. the underwater ones. Um, I guess I'm a diver. I, I like the, the, the three-dimensional aspect of cave diving. Um, sometimes when I swim, I try to imagine what if this room was dry? Well, if this room was dry, how would I climb into the hole, into the ceiling? Well, I would have to carry a ladder. And I can like, no, I just float out there because the caves have different levels. So um, in a certain way, I could say maybe dry caving, which is never really dry. You always follow the path of water or anything like that. Uh, dry caving becomes more uh, physically demanding. You might need a repellent. You might need ladders. Underwater caves, they are in a way maybe more dangerous because you're underwater, underground, away from direct ascent to the surface. But they have the facility of using the three-dimensional aspect of the 
of buoyancy of being able mm -hmm. oh hole in the ceiling oh, i'm gonna go and inspect that i'm just gonna float up there and have a look oh hole in the ground i'm gonna go and go through the hole and i don't need any ropes or any uh, ladders to do that so interesting question that i have now have you ever encountered sharks in a cave Ah, very good question. I wish there were sharks in caves. It's actually a title of a blog I wrote a long time ago. Yes and no. So not inside, like beyond the entrance, but absolutely, especially around the blue holes, the ocean blue holes, the ones that open up into the mangroves or into the bays. I found silkies, definitely lemons. I've seen even bull sharks hanging around those entrances. And... Uh, uh, sometimes they've been like some of the Caribbean reef sharks, they'll sit and kind of sleep right in between the transition where the water flows of mm -hmm. the blue holes. Uh, they'll be sitting there on the ocean floor. Uh, nurse sharks as well. Um, it could be that they benefit from the flow. It could be that it also is, a, as we know, ocean blue holes are so rich in fish life and, and food. Mm -hmm. So the sharks obviously well, hang around in those areas. But yes, I've seen sharks around blue holes. I actually, um, that was kind of like my aha moment many, many, many years back. I was preparing my cave gear off a Sweden ski, off the back of Sweden ski to go down a creek to go and explore a, a blue hole into the mangroves. And these tiny little sharks were swimming around my ankles. And then I realized when I explored that cave, uh, then it went on the other side, which was affected by the human population of Sweden ski. And all of a sudden it was just like, wait a minute, it's shark conservation and cave conservation, but it's actually caves uh, affect sharks and sharks affect caves and they're all in vitally interconnected. So really cool. There's, both of them are like so much uh, integrated into each other, even if you wouldn't think so. Right. And I think, um, yeah, caves and sharks are definitely some of the things that Bahamians don't really give too much thought about. <laughs> I know one of the things that I talked about in my live before the show is the fact that I feel like people don't realize that the Bahamas is so much more than just beaches. So if maybe you could share, um, what's one of the most like maybe more amazing things you've seen in some of these caves or even just with sharks um, during your time here? My goodness, where do I start? <laughs> um, so geologically, the Bahamas is one of the most stable plateau in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. That means if you go in other parts of the world, you'll find these sedimentations that I was talking about. They've been pushed up, they're cracked, they're this way. In the Bahamas, it's completely stable. So scientists can really deep core sample and study a lot of what has happened around this archipelago, but in general, weather-wise, or, or, uh, acidity-wise, development-wise. That, to me, is in incredible. Um, the other one for me is... Uh, as someone that comes from a different background is when I landed on this island and they said, oh, you open a tab and fresh water comes out of the tab. And I was just like, wait a minute, uh, you don't have any rivers. You don't have any lakes. You don't have any mountains, glaciers, snow, and you have fresh water coming out of the tap. where I call it the Bahamian gold. The <laughs> wars will be fought, not over petrol, over fresh water. Wow. There's a 20% of the world that's already struggling with access to fresh water. We in the Bahamas has access to fresh water. 
and we need to take care of it. So that to me is mind blowing. Um, the Bahamas have been one of the first places, for example, where some unique cave creators have been found. Um, mm. Ben's cave here in Freeport, Dr. Gio Yeager found the Speleontis lucayensis and created a new class of animals, which is like the Remipedia. The Remipedia is a little crustaceans with tiny little feet for, or they call, it basically means oars feet. You know, they move through or? the water, moving this, or like oh. or, like a oh. roar. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they move through the water. They're about this big or this big. And each cave has a different one. Uh, we have a very healthy shark populations with a, a huge variety of sharks. From We even have, we have pelagic sharks all the way to uh, coastal sharks. So oceanic white tips all the way to uh, nur sharks. Yeah. So those are some of the things that the Bahamas have. Never mind... Um, the entire geological history that you can you can really uh, discover through the caves and very much we have micro ecosystems that are a perfect example of what could actually happen around the world i usually say we're on an island on an island in this universe because at the end of the day this planet is an island in a universe and I so what that. we do what we do on sweden ski uh it's the same it will have certain effects and a very detectable and then what we do on Grand Bahama which is then what we do on the archipelago which eventually is what we do on this planet um so those are some of the unique things I mm -hmm. I love walking through the bush there's just so much to understand from bush medicine to how it relates to the ocean how this plant affects the filtration of the water how the mangroves help the coastline how they help the corals mm -hmm. Um, yeah. it, it's like well, uh, an <laughs> enormous environmental encyclopedia and that's one of the, mm -hmm. the reason why I love being here yeah, I always say I feel like the Bahamas could potentially be just as amazing as the Galapagos Islands uh, I know we do have a question uh, from viewers and uh, I guess you really uh, shocked some people with your statistics with the water but D'Angelo asks, how does fresh water get under the ground? So for here in the Bahamas, you noted that, you know, we don't have rivers and stuff like that. So how are we getting the fresh water that we have access to? It filters, a very good, good question. It filters through these layers of limestone. Some of, some of this limestone, karst terrain, is a very, we call a soft. So it's very porous. When the rain hits the ground, it become it mixes with the underground foliage, for example. That's why the forest is so important. It becomes mildly acidic. It's calcium carbonate. And then what it does, it fizzles through the soft limestone. And then it finds like a hard limestone. And so fl uh, flows on it like almost like water on goose feathers. And then finds more soft limestones and dripples through. And then it finds the underwater reservoirs. Underneath that, there's the ocean level. So if you were to look at an island, and the island would be more like this, right? So you mm -hmm. would have the seawater level out of my thumb in a certain way, and then the freshwater level sits on the top of the thumbs. The closer you go to shore, the thinner is the water lens, the freshwater lens. The further you are inland, the higher the freshwater lens. But that's how it filters. So the limestone is a natural filter. Is your Brita filter. These islands are Brita filters of the <laughs> rainwater. And that brings up the, when we throw things in a bush, 
when we dump the, 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 the oil, when we dump the diesel, when we burn something on the ground, when we abandon something in the bush. And we do. I mean, there's, there's a lot yeah. driving around these islands looking for caves. I found full areas full of garbage. That stuff, especially human-made, will eventually destroy the capability of the filters. And I'll give you an example. Imagine it's your Brita filter. And mm -hmm. I grab it for an experiment and you normally filter water through it. Well, today I'm going to filter through diesel through it. And then I'm going to hand it back to you. And I says, okay, you know, just we'll filter water a couple of more times and you can drink out of the filter again. Would you? And the answer is no, no because you're completely compromised the capability of that filter to work. And that's how the limestone works for us. And that's how the water gets on, on the ground. Uh, so we have another uh, question, but that was beautiful. I think a lot of people don't realize that filter concept of the water because um, I know a lot of times people like to make fun of our limestone rock, but it's actually very helpful to our ecosystem. <laughs> yes. And we do have a question from Charlotte. <laughs> Can you tell us about an especially emotional interaction that you have had with a shark, please? Smiling oh. face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um Provided that I work with a specific in a specific location, which I call dive site fidelity. I have uh, basically been there for 29 years, although Caribbean sharks have already taken a turnover because they live about 15 to 18 years. Mm -hmm. I know the sharks there. I have I recognize them from their facial features, from the way they swim. Uh, I would say one my most emotional connection of all the ones I've had is with foggy eye. Uh, Foggy Eye was, and she's no longer with us. So she uh, And here's where Mythbusters, the sharks actually die of cancer, like we do. Um, mm. So she passed away due to cancer. But uh, Foggy Eye showed up on a dive, and she would be one of the sharks that would swim by, and I kind of like pet her as she swam by. But she will never like come into my lap. And then one day she showed up with a hook, and I removed the hook as she was swimming by. She disappeared for a couple of days, came back two days later, and she had a giant wire coming out of her mouth. So as she had this giant wire coming out of her mouth, I would kind of like, as she was swimming towards me, pat her and put my hand, I wear a chain suit, by the way, protection suit, like a <laughs> beehive keeper suit. I would put my finger on her bottom jaw open and see the hook. So after this dance went on, you know, try, she would swim away. No, you're not touching it. I literally shoved my arm down her throat and picked the hook, push, pull, and pull the hook out. And from that day on, Foggy Eye will just come in and lean into me. Like I'd be standing there working with someone else and she'd come in and I would feel this pressure on the thighs. I would turn around and say, hey. And she would just sit in my lap. I have had a relationship with other sharks that love to sit in my lap, but the change in Foggy Eye was crazy. It went from that hook removal to the next day. And then she continued to be that until her last day. So very much emotional. Um, yeah. But for me, it's emotional with all of them. I mean, yeah. Uh, D'Angelo and the viewers are saying you're fearless. Do you think that there was ever a time where you felt scared? Like maybe when no. you first started? <sighs> no, uh, I was actually was lucky enough, fortunate enough, my father I was ex-military diver and he brought up with this concept about respecting primarily the water. 
It was teaching mm -hmm. about the water. The water is a dangerous place. Yes, how do we respect the water? But he always told me that there are no monsters in the sea, only the one that we make up in our heads. And so I was never really afraid. Um, cautious, yes. I didn't go diving with sharks on the first day. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna remove a hook. Nor I <laughs> remove foggy eyes hook on the first time I try to remove a hook. I also, mm -hmm. like I said, wear protection. So I'm very uh, cautious. I give myself time. I'm very repetitious. I don't think I'm fearless. I think I am knowledgeable and respectful. And uh, I do follow a very, very basic rule. It's called the any, 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 any. Any diver can call any dive at any time for any reason without any repercussion. And taking that is a courage the courage of saying not today not right now and there's always another day i don't need to do anything right now i think that is part of the courage and then what has made me comfortable and safe all through the years i love that i think i think that's important also i'm sure when you share with people who you take on shark dives you have to be comfortable you have to respect you have to practice safety and so do you often um, take people out on their first shark dives? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I actually, I am, I am specializing right now. I work in conservation, but also in um, my job is to be a professional diver. And that's how I balance the two. And nice. I, I'm specializing into the technical diving. So cave diving, take people from their first step into, oh, I want to try this. I don't know how it works. And I said, okay, you can try this level. And I have all these little things that I offer into going diving with sharks, uh, swimming around with them all the way to wearing the chain suit and standing next to me, feeling and doing exactly what I do, reaching out and allowing the sharks to come into you and pet them on the head, Caribbean ray sharks. Because the other thing yeah. by, by which I work is one size does not fit all. So please understand, <laughs> I'm not a big proponent of going down there and just like whatever shark you see, you start. No, it is a specific group that I know with the specific rules. And for each mm -hmm. shark and each species, we behave differently. But yes, I get a lot of first timers. That's, and I'm sure you are probably one of the best people to have a first time shark dive with. Um. I love it. To me, teaching is a part of protecting because once we understand something or someone, then we're more inclined to fall in love with it and actually wanting to protect them. So I absolutely love teaching is the core of my passion. I just yeah. want to share. That's what I do the most. Yes, for sure. So yeah, we do have another question um, from POTUS, aka Kevin. <laughs> what was your first dive like? And that is a very interesting question. You've been diving for so long now. Do you remember what your first dive was like? My first dive was at a dive site called Caves. Uh, and it's not a cave dive. It's a reef dive that has this beautiful fringing reef with some swim-throughs. I still remember to these days, and to this day, there's a coral head there that when I swam by it, it looked like a, the head of an elk horn. And I remember descended, um, coming from, from Italy and growing up on the African coast of the Congo, visibility is a little bit different. Uh, Bahamians have no idea how clear the water is in the Bahamas. Wow. It, it is on our worst day, there's places that they don't even have it on their best days. 
So it goes below 60 feet here. We're kind of like, ah, it's really terrible visibility. <laughs> it's just like, mm -hmm. uh, so I came here and I submerged into what looked like uh, space. The, the water was so clear there was space. And it was this head with these sponges sticking out like the Alconcor and sharks are swimming around it. And then I remember the black dargon, the black dargon fish. Now I know the names, but back then it was like this black fish with this blue iridescent light line. I was like, what is that? So yes, I absolutely remember. I remember the sunlight. I remember the clearness of the water, the sharks and this coral head with all these unique animals around it. That's awesome. I think, yeah. And, and I'm happy to hear that you do so remember. I know it's you've been diving and I I can't even wrap my head around the amount of dives you probably have under your belt right now. I feel like you're probably in the thousands or tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, about 21,000. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now, I know you are currently working on some other things as well. So I would love to hear... I know you have, and I have the logo up there, People of the Water, your nonprofit organization. But what are some other things that you're working on? This is not shark diving or cave exploring. Um, so one of the, the, the things that I do is I do quite a lot of online presentations, um, like this podcast that we're doing. So I do uh, online presentations with classrooms, schools, clubs, universities, you name it. Um, I also um, do it on you mentioned that mentorships programs. And uh, so when I am working, but at the same time, I'm hosting uh, students. Um, a lot of people ask me if it's an internship, to be honest with you, it's not like a really defined internships, it's more gut feeling. People write to me and then I said, yeah, why don't you come and stay for two weeks? Uh, I do a lot of, I do mentorships for also official ones for the Explorers Club, our World and Water Scholarship Society, the Women Dabber Hall of Fame, and then I do my own. Um, a program that we're working on, we're kind of like waiting now for a depth is a, we were, Ke Kevin, my husband and I, were identifying as many caves and blue holes that we could and then going in and mapping and creating maps for all these locations that then we gave uh, um, to Bahama National Trust. They're available also Museum of Antiquities. We've been in contact with them. So we kind of like sit at home, look for something where it might require to go. And then we go hiking, macheting, walking. And then we go and find water, exploring and mapping those. So to actually have a clearer view of what's underneath our feet, you know, out mm -hmm. of sight, out of mind. And then the nonprofit itself was founded in 2019. And that primarily was funded to help me expand what was my educational outreach um, I have to admit, between the hurricane and the pandemic, and there was, a, a, like anyone knows, a screeching halt into their capabilities. But it was the education, the local educational outreach. So being able to trying to build that when I was able to train Bahamians through the years, especially at the dive master and instructor level, because I'm, an, I'm a course director, and I'm hoping with the nonprofit to bring that one um, back up in a more uh, meaningful way together with the exploration. Uh, what else am I working on? Well, you know, I've had a couple of books sitting there and then Kevin and I have a little special project that is more um, kind of like fun uh, where he's writing some music and we're creating underwater images that go with each song. Oh, 
I love um, that. In the so, meantime, you know, we clean beaches, pick up stray puppies, return them to your base. <laughs> That's beautiful. All around, all around kind of person. Um, so how could someone who's viewing um, get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, volunteer with you, maybe be mentored by you? Like, how can they get in touch with you to see all the amazing things that you do? Well, they can find me on many social media. Usually, the, and I try to answer everything and everyone on social media to send me somewhat mm -hmm. of a reasonable sentence. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you go, hi, baby, and don't write anything else, no. But if you write, hey, my name is, and I was okay, I usually send you anyway to my website so or directly to my email. Right. So you can go on my website, which is christinazenato.com without an H. Christina without an H, or you can go to pownonprofit.org to see some of the other work that we've been doing. And you message either or, and you'll easily reach me. Yeah, sounds good. So as we start to uh, wrap up this episode, I don't see too many other questions, but still feel free to shoot some questions if you would love to know more about Christina and this type of things that she does. Who would you say is somebody that, you know, is in your sector that works in the same type of um, atmosphere as you, whether in the Bahamas or international, that inspires you and why? Uh, current or there's uh, two, whichever two, uh, no, there's quite a few, but I would say, um, my original one was my dad, like I said, with his uh, stories of the underwater world and his adventures. And the second one was Ben Rose. Unfortunately, I lost both my dad and Ben six weeks apart in 2019. So it's a, very much a tragedy. Um, ben was, he is, the footprint of Ben Rose is everywhere. Ben's cave, Ben's blue hole, Rose Garden, uh, the shark dive, the initial understanding of the that so he was very much an inspiration as as women um dr eugenie clark was a big influence the, the lady and the shark uh, a woman that 50 years ago a woman that 50 years ago was talking about diving with sharks protecting sharks and evolved in stam which is something that from my background age and culture was actually not very accessible. I'm a 50-year-old Italian woman who grew up in a place where Italian women don't really go into STEM, you know? And 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 so Eugenie Clark, Eugenie was very much uh, someone like that. Um, but I always say it takes a village to make a person. And so uh, I could see here and name quite a few of the people uh, from Dr. Patricia Beddoes to Dr. Mickey McCombs-Cabza uh, to some of uh, Alana Velacott that I, I, I was first a mentee and now is a friend, um, but a friend to whom now I am inspired by um, because she grew beyond the mentee. So there's quite a lot of people that are a network for me of inspiration and knowledge and understanding. Sorry, I can't hear you. Of course, I had my <laughs> my video. But yeah, definitely Alana, shout out to her because she was one of the first people that I met working in 
marine biology in the environmental space. And I met her in 2008 when I was still in high school. Um, she was at the island school still. And she definitely was one of the people that inspired me to get into this sector. So it's nice to know that she has some link with you. And now we're connected. So that's, that's beautiful. Um, oh, I see we do have uh, about two more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin asks, what is your favorite region to dive in? And he followed up with that and why? You don't have to say us, but you know. <laughs> Grand Bahama, the Bahamas. Why? We have, especially here for me, I can go shark diving in the morning, come home, have lunch, pack my gear and go cave diving in the afternoon. The diversity of the diving and the beauty of the diving that we have here, provided I'm not a big wreck diver, nor I'm a big deep diver, to me, the Bahamas is, we have Big life, small life, uh, uh, colors, uh, visibility. You can go in 10 feet of water and stay there forever and the variety of all of that. So uh, exploration. In 2020, Kevin and I found and explored two brand new caves that no one had ever been in. Nobody even knew that wow. existed. So I don't think there's ever a better place than where I am right now. That's amazing. Have you ever um, visited and dived in some of the other islands and caves? Or which ones yes. I should say are other? Because I'm sure you've been yeah. to the other. Yeah, I've done. Um, and, and well, you and I met in Long Island. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Abaco extensively. Uh, the caves in Abaco are absolutely spectacular. I would say the most spectacular ca underwater caves on this planet are in Abaco. So right next door. Mm. Uh, absolutely breathtaking. Um, I've been in Eleuthera, I dived around in New Providence, I'm just trying, I haven't got to Na uh, to Andros yet, so that is my next mm. list, yes. Nice, nice. Um, All right, and so we do have from Charlotte, what is the most important thing to think about when diving with sharks? It's actually, uh, again, we're going back to one size does not fit all. So we need to, here's the questions that I will usually uh, answer back to the question, which is, where are you? And that includes the region in the world. Yeah, are you in South Africa? Are you in the Bahamas? Uh, which species of sharks live? And of where are you, for example, South Africa? Are you in a kelp forest or between Dyer Island and the seal colony where the great whites go patrolling to hunt? If you're in the Bahamas, are you a tiger beach or are you on a regular dive site that other local operators dive from? What are you doing? Are you spearfishing? Are you taking pictures? Uh, so very much the, uh, what are you telling the sharks that you're there for? Because if you're spearfishing, they'll be kind of like, hey, that's mama's lasagna there. I'm coming yeah. for it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then a little bit is what are the conditions? Uh, is it night? Is it day? Is it good vis? Is it bad vis? And then adapt that to, to the animal. If you were to be in the water and you see a shark, chances are you're okay. Uh, what I would recommend is stay, if you can't recognize a species, stay calm and relax. Okay. Keep an eye on the animal and slowly kind of like clear the area. And chances are it's going to be two of you anyway, right? So slowly move away from the area and let the shark be the shark. And most likely the shark is going to come in, investigate, and then swim away. I always tell people I've found that if you see a shark, 
nine out of 10 times that shark already saw you. Like, and if they were going to do something, they would have, you would have been feeling the shark, not seeing the shark. So correct. That's, if, that's a helpful tip for people to remember. Remember um, sharks have seven senses so they can feel you. They can, then one of the things we forgot, they can smell you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They can smell you before they can see you, before they yeah. can feel you, right? And the, the bubbles and the movement, but they can smell you because we forget their strongest sense from a distance is scent. We, mm -hmm. exude, we exude hormonal secretions. We have that. So sharks can smell that as well. So they can feel us way before we see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is true. I always forget that they have more than us. Um... Yeah. Um, Charlotte also asks, what can we do to help and protect the sharks all over the world? I love this question. <laughs> this, uh, all right. Do you, we have another hour podcast available? <laughs> <laughs> so we can do a lot of things. Uh, we can do active uh, conservation work. We can also do uh, what I would say secondary conservation work. And it start basically with understanding that any actions that we have will reflect into the oceans, not just the sharks, but into the ocean. So for example, we can think about a reduce, reduce reuse, um, eventually recycle, but reduce is way more important than recycle of plastic. Think about mm -hmm. the consequences of using some chemicals, for example, in the house, right? How can we be greener in the house so some of the stuff doesn't end up in our water table and into the ocean? So our, sort of somewhat indirect. What are my food choices. If I'm still eating seafood, um, what are my better options of the ones that I have available? What is more sustainable? What is less destructive? Uh, can I start doing Meatless Tuesday? There's all these little different movements that we can do. I'm very much for is uh, don't do too much too drastic. New Year's resolutions don't work. Do a little bit. Implement it into your life and then do another little bit and then try this out a little bit. Uh, you can work on the rules and regulations of the place you're in. Now, the Bahamas are amazing. We have been a shark sanctuary since 2011. But yeah. next door in Florida, there's a fishing tournament going on as we speak and they're slaughtering them by the dozens. And mm -hmm. the problem is the sharks don't know boundaries. So if you are from a different place, I'm Italian. Italy has one of the worst record of shark import, export, killing, consumption. Work on the legislations where you can vote, where your voice can be heard, where you actually can matter. Um, directly, divers can support shark diving tourism. Uh, you can actually promote shark education. You can start being the, the ambassadors you can be, I love when I have people from all over the world that speak languages. I speak five languages, but I, I love when people come here and speak different languages and you're like, okay, now you're going back to Greece yeah. and you're going to say all these things that I told you thanks to the English bridge in Greek for me. And you become yeah. my ambassadors out there for sharks. And so start educating within your community. Mm -hmm. Remember one basic thing, you capture more flies with honey than with vinegar. So have an open conversation, approach people from a gentle point of view, screaming and yelling in their faces doesn't work. Mm -hmm. right? um, one of, I think one of the most beautiful lessons I've learned of, for sure in the Bahamas and how Bahamians interact and how they talk to each other and how they do things is definitely that. So those are a lot of the things that you can do. Uh, um, 
travel a little bit more eco-friendly. Remember, we are attacking them on all fronts. So now you start changing the way you, your carbon footprint is. It's never going to be zero, but you can reduce it. You can change yeah. the way you reduce the way you consume and consume their food. And then you can uh, influence directly how actually we have sharks and protect sharks. So quite a lot to pick from. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I do think it's amazing that we have become a shark sanctuary. It's unfortunate that we are saving sharks here, but sharks are being slaughtered right next door. But I'm hopeful. Um, eventually, the world yes. will get all on one accord. Um, but I if would love one, you. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, one thing oh. I, that, that I, I go by is the starfish thrower. Um, it's a story of a young kid that's on the beach putting starfish, and it's a 16 pages, actually, uh, essay from Laurel Eisel. But the condensed version is the kid is putting starfish back into the water. When approached by an adult, the adult goes, what are you doing? And the kid says, well, you know, the starfish is stranded. I'm putting them back in the water. I'm helping them. And the adult goes, well, this is thousands and thousands of fish and miles and miles of beach. And this is not the only beach. He says, you will never make a difference. And the kid looks at the starfish he has in his hands, puts it in the water, and looks at the adult and says, I made a difference for that one. So even in your darkest moment, even when you feel that you cannot make a difference, remember, for the world, you're one person. But for someone or a shark or a starfish, you might be the world. I love it. I love it. And I was going to ask for final thoughts. And, and that one was beautiful. I don't know if you have any other um, lessons learned or final thoughts for viewers uh, that you'd want to share before we, we say goodbye. No, that was my, my thing. Beautiful. It's just the oceans is made of drops. Let's be one of them. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Uh, man, well, this has been such an amazing episode. I don't see any more questions in our comment section. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I look forward to hopefully maybe having you on again. Maybe I get to come to Freeport. Uh, we can actually do it in person. Maybe I'll go on a shark dive. Maybe. I've done a Let's few. Let's do that. Like <laughs> Let's um, do that. How about we do one? We should do one live from the boat before I put you in the water with the sharks and then after. I think I like this idea. I think I like this idea. We're going to talk about it and we're going to plan it. Um, and thank you to all the viewers for riding another wave with us for another episode of Siren Sundays. If you didn't catch the episode live or you just want to watch it again, it will be on Facebook and YouTube and on all podcast platforms. Once again, thank you so much, Christina. This has been wonderful. I look forward to being in touch and planning our second episode very, very soon. Thank you, Lashanti. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.